Welcome to NVC Life. I'm Rochelle Lamb, veteran NVC trainer and relationship coach, helping listeners navigate interpersonal conflict and ground more deeply into relational living. Greetings, fellow humans. Based on the number of people who tuned into last week's episode on Jordan Peterson and free speech, I thought this week would be a good time to explore the subject of offense and being offended, especially since being offended is reportedly on the rise and it offers a rich terrain. So let's begin with the word itself and its definition. According to Oxford, to offend means to one, cause to feel upset, annoyed, or resentful. Example, viewers said they had been offended by bad language. Two, commit an illegal act. Example, a small hardcore of young criminals who offend again and again. For our purposes, we're going with the first definition, to cause to feel upset, annoyed, or resentful. Similar words or phrases would be hurt someone's feelings, affront, upset, disgust, displease, distress, hurt, wound, pain, injure, get someone's back up, annoy, anger, irritate, provoke, tread on someone's shoes, ruffle someone's feathers, rub the wrong way, insult, humiliate, shock, outrage, spite, get under someone's skin. You get the idea. Listeners familiar with the nonviolent communication framework will likely know that being offended is not understood as a feeling, but rather as an assessment of what another person is doing to us, in this case, offending us. And even then, the practice of NVC would guide us to use different language, since to assert that another person is offending us only describes our evaluation of the person and not what the person is observably saying or doing. Rather than saying that a person is being offensive, NVC would invite us to describe the actual words or actions. Here's an example. He told me, I have no moral compass and that only an educated moron would say such a thing. To evaluate the person saying these things as being rude and offensive would very likely increase the divide between myself and that person, as well as between myself and everyone who aligns with that person's views. It would as well strengthen the alliance between me and those who align with me and my thinking, thereby setting the stage for the ensuing us versus them dynamic. By using evaluative language, we are essentially strengthening the divide between people and lowering the possibility of fruitful dialogue and problem solving. I hope you can see how that works. We will be more productive if we stick to language that is descriptive of what is actually being said or done, rather than using language that is evaluative. I'll get to why this is easier said than done in a few moments. Okay, let's return to the feelings that we would likely experience when someone says something that we evaluate as offensive, even though we've learned that in the world of NBC, offense isn't factual. Only words and actions are factual. If it's not already clear, what I've just said points to something, that our evaluations, in fact, play a role in generating our feelings. Consider the following. Your feelings will become that much stronger to the degree that you're certain about your description of events and your attachment 
to your evaluations. And the more certain and rigid you become, the less likely you are to muster any curiosity about the limits of your own seeing. You will likely feel indignant, vindictive, hostile, rageful, righteous, etc. if you strongly align with your evaluation and decide that you have been offended. Within the NVC framework, a person can't feel offended. If you're pretty sure you can feel offended, then try this exercise. Are you able to draw an emoji for feeling offended? What would the facial expression be that would make it clear to others that you were feeling offended? It's not possible. And why isn't it possible? Because it's not a feeling. I'm not saying that feelings aren't present. I'm simply saying that offended is not a feeling. It mixes evaluation with feelings, tricking us to believe that it's feelings we're talking about. We can only draw emojis for feelings. So if you have a story running in your head that someone has offended you and you stop long enough to check inside yourself to see how you're actually feeling, what do you discover? So let's check it out. Are you feeling hurt, confused, angry, frustrated, alarmed, scared, embarrassed? Notice that you can draw emojis for each of these words. And perhaps you're experiencing more than one of these feelings simultaneously. The thing is, if you speak about your actual feelings rather than your evaluations, you'll be more in touch with yourself and you'll have a more solid foundation and broader territory to ground both your experience and conversation. Even if the conversation is only with yourself as might be the case if you're watching something online that is stimulating a reaction inside you, or if you're passively monitoring or actively engaging in a social media exchange, or the person you were speaking with has terminated the conversation and left the room, and you are reflecting on the exchange. So here's a question for you. Are you able to imagine a world where no one is offensive and you don't feel offended? Would the world need to radically change in order for that to happen? Or is it possible that if you change how you understand human beings and how they relate and how you describe it, that you could actually find yourself inhabiting such a world? Now, you might think that I'm suggesting that you get a pair of rose-colored glasses and become oblivious to some of the harsh realities that exist. If you're having such thoughts, I hear you your right to be skeptical. But I assure you that the world doesn't become any less real when we replace our convincing evaluations with observable descriptions and honest articulation of feelings. I would say it becomes more real. And what happens instead is this. We encounter an open space when we consider the actual facts without the negatively charged narrative surrounding those facts. And encountering that open space can have a destabilizing effect on us. We can suddenly feel uncertain about things we felt so certain about before. We can feel exposed and vulnerable. Most of us don't like to feel that way. 
A few moments ago, I talked about how it's easier said than done to replace the language of evaluation with the language of observation. The East Indian philosopher and teacher Jadu Krishnamurti said the ability to observe without evaluating is the highest form of intelligence. Here's a way to describe the internal landscape from evaluation to observations. Have you ever worn a virtual reality headset? A few years ago, someone managed to convince me to try it out and explore virtual reality. Once the power button was turned on, I quickly found myself standing at the edge of a cliff, looking over a wild desert terrain. With amusement, my young friend instructed me to step off the cliff and see what it would feel like to be standing in midair without falling. My heart was pounding. It was the weirdest, the weirdest sensation. It took me several minutes to step forward and truly believe I wouldn't fall, even though I knew full well that I was standing on a carpeted living room floor and not on a cliff. There was no way I could fall. Still, wearing the headset was so incredibly convincing that it took me a while to step off the cliff. Let me suggest that our stories and evaluations about what's happening are equally compelling and convincing, so much so that we find it hard to believe that we will survive stepping onto the solid ground of what is factually observable and to articulate our most basic human feelings. I'm suggesting that you remove the headset of evaluations and turn to the reality of what is before that headset became so habitual to you. People genuinely and rightfully fear what will happen to them if they start speaking themselves into a different reality. I only say rightfully because when you live inside the grip of your own story long enough, even when that story is a nightmare, the release into a new linguistic reality will be unsettling for a while. Do it anyway. Choose solid ground. Now, I think it's important to say something about how the word offended is typically employed these days. I suspect many listeners will have noticed the following. When a person says, I feel offended or that's offensive, there's often a tone of voice, a defensive edge that implies that someone has said something they have no right to say or think, something that is surely punishable. You've probably also noticed how saying one feels offended typically indicates the end of any deep inquiry into the matter. If I'm offended, you're wrong. And that's that. Now I'm going to offer up a quote from George Orwell. If liberty means anything at all, it means the right to tell people what they do not want to hear. Here's another one. The further a society drifts from the truth, the more they will hate those that speak it. Despite the Orwellian ring, those words commonly misattributed to Orwell were penned by Selwyn Duke. Now I'm not suggesting that all offense is based on real truth. I'm not suggesting that at all, but sometimes it does occur. And I don't know about you, but I find it alarming when feelings are viewed as the measure of reality and not the facts of the matter. I say alarming because without a shared understanding of what constitutes reality, a society becomes unmoored and becomes a threat to its own existence. I have a third quote from 19th century English philosopher and economist John Stuart Mill. The peculiar evil of silencing the expression of an opinion is that it is robbing the human race, posterity, as well as the existing generation, those who dissent from the opinion still more than those who hold it. 
If the opinion is right, they're deprived of the opportunity of exchanging error for truth. If wrong, they lose what is almost as great a benefit, the clearer perception and livelier impression of truth produced by its collision with error. End quote. As Mills says, to silence the expression of an opinion is to rob the human race. When being offended becomes the signal by which we conclude that the offender must be wrong since we feel as we do, the divide widens and humanity loses. Professor Irshad Manji, the author of Don't Label Me, An Incredible Conversation for Divided Times, says this in a three-minute video, giving offense is the price of diversity, not an impediment to diversity. She goes on to say, when we take offense, we're in reactive mode and we miss opportunities to ask people why they believe what they do. By refusing to be offended that they're offended, I've been able to stand my ground while seeking common ground, and that's necessary in our hyper-polarized times. I've included a link to the video in the show notes. It's titled, Worry Less About Offending People and More About Being Able to Take Offense. I agree with Manji. We would be well served to learn how to take offense. I met Marshall Rosenberg 24 years ago, and I remain enormously grateful for what I learned from him. Learning how to hear the underlying feelings and needs beneath the surface of evaluative and hard-to-hear messages is a real game-changer. How we take in and respond to what others say has the power to either drive a wedge between us or build a bridge or, at the very least, allow us to coexist nonviolently. In the context of NVC, I'm suggesting here that being offended is a choice and that choosing to be offended prevents any possibility of understanding others, re-examining our own beliefs and biases, as well as absorbing deeper truths, and it increases the likelihood of deepening the divide. Human beings do, in fact, have the ability to interrupt negative reactive patterns with well-considered responses that lower defensiveness and deepen engagement. It's our choice. What are we going to do? To conclude this episode, I invite you to take a deep breath and consider the words from comedian Ricky Gervais. Just because you're offended doesn't mean you're right. Thank you for tuning into NBC Life. For future episodes, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or YouTube. For free resources or to book a private session with me, head over to rochellelam.com. Until the next time, stay sane, grateful, and generous.